Section 6 of Sasha. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scout of Rohan. Sasha by Alexander Kuprin. Translated by Douglas Ashby. Emerald. Part 1. I dedicate this story to the memory of that incomparable piebald racehorse, Holstemer. Emerald, the four-year-old, a full-grown racehorse of American breed, of a uniform grey, steel-like color, woke up as usual at about midnight in his loose box. The other horses, his neighbors on the left and right and opposite, on the other side of the passage, were chewing hay with quick regularity, as though they were keeping time, crunching it with the relish between their teeth and, every now and then, sniffing on account of the dust. On a heap of hay in a corner slept the stable boy on duty. Emerald knew by the sequence of days and by the particular snore that it was Vasily, a lad whom the horses disliked because he smoked a reeking tobacco in the stables, frequently came and drunk, pounded their bellies with his knees, shook his fists in their eyes, tugged their halters roughly, and always addressed them in an unnatural, hoarse, threatening voice. Emerald went up to the railed entrance opposite which, raising him in her stable, stood a young black, not yet full-grown, mayor named Chigalicha. Emerald could not see her body in the dark, but every time that she left off munching the hay and turned her head, her large eyes would gleam for a few seconds with a pretty purple fire. Emerald drew a long breath with his delicate, dilated nostrils as he took in the scarcely noticeable but insistent agitating odor of her skin and gave a short neigh. The mare turned round quickly and answered with a light, trembling and playful neighing. From the box immediately on his right, Emerald heart of jealous, angry breathing. It came from old Anegin, a vicious chestnut who still appeared from time to time in the town races. The two horses were separated by a lightboard partition and could not see each other, but... By placing his nose on the rail, Emerald could catch easily the warm odor of the chewed hay as it came from the panting nostrils of the chestnut. In this way, for some little time, the two horses sniffed at each other in the darkness, their ears flat on their heads, their necks arched as they grew more and more angry. Then, all of a sudden, each of them gave tongue to his rage stamping fiercely at the same moment stop that nonsense you devils the stable boy shouted at them sleepily but with a familiar thread in his voice the horses sprang back from the rails and prickled up their ears their hostility towards each other was of long standing but only three days before this there had been brought into this very stable that graceful black mare a quite unusual occurrence due to lack of space just before the races and now not a day passed without a quarrel between them in the stables on the race track and when they were taking to water they would provoke each other to fight 
but in his soul emerald felt a certain fear of this long self-assertive chestnut a fear of that pungent smell of an angry horse his wrath came like adam's apple his gloomy sunken eyes and particularly of his strong stone-like frame hardened by years of straining and previous combats pretending to himself that he was not in the least afraid and that nothing at all had happened emerald turned bent his head into the manger and rummaged the hay with his soft mobile elastic lips at first he just nibbled capriciously at separate morsels but soon the gust of chewing came over him and he really plunged into feeding and at the same time slow indifferent thoughts were leaking into his head linking together memories of shapes and perfumes and sounds and then losing themselves finally in that dark abyss which lay before and behind everything except the passing moment he was the floating thoughts just now and he recalled the old stableman nazar who distributed the hay in the evening that good old nazar he always has such a cozy smell of black bread and just a slight sniff of wine his movements are gentle and unhurried on his days the oats and hay taste better and it's nice to listen to him for when grooming you he talks to you in whispers with just a tender approach and all the time he is wheezing to himself but for all that he lacks the main thing the horse touch and when he has you between the shafts you can feel through the reins that his hands are fumbling and inexact vasily has not got that horseman feel either and though he shots and strikes all the horses know that he is a covert and they are not afraid of him and he too is unable to drive he pulls at you and gets nervous the third stableman the squint-eyed one is better than these two but he has no love for horses and is cruel and impatient besides his hands are heavy as if they were made of wood and the fourth andrishka is still quite a boy and plays with the horses just like a sucking colt stealthily kissing them on the upper lip between the nostrils which isn't particularly agreeable but rather funny but that other one the tall thin clean-shaven one with the stoop and the gold-rimmed glasses he's quite another affair he's like some extraordinary horse wise and strong and fearless he never gets angry never uses the whip never even threatens but all the same when he's up in the american buggy it is so nice to terrifyingly pleasant to obey every hint of his strong clever all-comprehending fingers he alone can produce an emerald that state of joyous harmony in which the whole force of the body lends itself to the rush of the race and makes one feel so light and so merry and at once emerald saw in imagination the short track of the hippodrome so almost every horse every curbstone saw the scent of the hippodrome itself the tribune the other horses the green of the grass and the yellow of the track 
then suddenly he recalled the dark bathed three-year-old who had recently twisted his foot on the track and had begun to limp and thinking of him emerald tried mentally to go lame himself just a little one bit of hay which emerald had in his mouth had a peculiarly delicate taste the coal chewed it for some time and long after he had swallowed it he retained in his mouth the fine perfume of faded flowers and dry odorous grass then a dim quiet formless far-off memory slid into the horse's brain this is just what happens sometimes with smokers when the chance inhaling of cigarette brings back suddenly for an irresistible second of memory of a dark corridor with old wallpaper and a solitary candle of the buffet or else a long journey through the night with the regular thinking of sledge bells and the sensation of languid sleepiness or else the dark blue wood not too far off the snow dazzling one's eyes the noise of an approaching bati the passionate impatience that makes one's knees tremble all in a moment such bygone forgotten touching but no longer translatable feelings slide into one's soul with a sombre and dim caress meanwhile the little black window above the manger invisible until now began to get grey and to become faintly outlined in the darkness the horses chewed more lazily and sighed one after the other deeply and softly in the yard of the cock sounded his familiar call sonorous bold and sharp like trumpet and far away in the distance other cocks each in turn spread summons of the morning with his head bent in the manger emerald was still trying to keep in his mouth and get back with renewed force that strange taste that had aroused in him the echo of an exquisite almost physical but incomprehensible memory but he could not revive it and before he knew where he was he began to doze end of part one part two his feet and body were perfectly built this is why he always slept standing scarcely swinging either backwards or forwards sometimes though he would give a start and then his deep sleep would pass for a few seconds into a lightness slumber but the short intervals of sleep were so profound that the muscles nerves and skin of the horse were rested and refreshed it was just at dawn that he was dreaming of an early spring morning a reddish streak suffusing the earth and a low-lying sweet-scented meadow the grass was thick and luscious green as in some charming fairy tale but tinged by the dawn with a delicate pink just as human beings and animals see it in early childhood the dew gleaming all over it like trembling fires in the pure rarefied air every sort of perfume comes to one with a peculiar intensity one catches through the freshness of the morning the smell of the blue and transparent smoke that curls over the village chimneys every flower in the meadow has a distinct scent 
on the moist broken road that leads into the town innumerable scents are mingled with the smell of human beings of tar of horse dung of dust and of cow's milk fresh from a passing herd of aromatic gum that drips from the pine trees over the hedge emerald a seven-month stallion his mane and tail cut short is running aimlessly through the meadow bending his neck and kicking out his hind legs he seems to be made of air and is not in the least conscious of the weight of his body the white perfumed chamomile flowers keep running backwards under his feet he whisks away straight onto the sun the wet grass swishes against his feet his knees making them feel cold and dull just for the moment the blue sky the green grass the golden sun the exquisite air the drunken ecstasy of youth of strength and speed but just then he hears a short restless tender and appealing neighing so familiar to him that he can recognize it at a distance among thousands of neighs he stops short in his full gallop listens for an instant his head raised his delicate ears moving and his broom-shaped short downy tail shaking as he answers with a long-drawn call with which the whole of his fine thinnish long-legged body vibrates and then he speeds to his mother she a quiet bony old mare raises her wet muzzle from the grass smells over the colt quickly and attentively and then resumes her chewing as though she were in a hurry to finish a pressing business bending his flexible neck under her with upturned muzzle the colt from habit frosts with his lips between her hind legs to find a warm elastic nipple full of sweet scarcely sourish milk that flows in hot little ripples into his mouth on and on he drinks and cannot tear himself from it the broad mare shakes herself free at last and pretends to bite his groin it is quite light now in the stable an old smelling bearded goat who lives with the horses has approached the stable doors that had been strengthened inside with beans and commanded to bleat looking backwards at the stable boy vasily barefooted scratching his woolly head got up to open them for him the day was a regular autumn one bluish and cold the square in front of the open doors was covered at once by the warm vapour that steamed out from the stables while the aroma of the white frost and the fallen leaves penetrated delicately into the horses stalls they knew well that oats were going to be served out to them and they were giving impatient grunts near their railings the greedy and capricious onegin was stamping with his hoofs and was exhibiting his old bad habit of champing with his upper teeth against the chewed iron bound brim of the manger, swallowing and belching out the morning air emerald for his part contented himself with rubbing his muzzle against the railing the other stablemen there were four altogether came in and began to distribute the oats in iron bins 
While Lazar was heaping up the heavy rustling oats in Emerald's manger, the colt, his warm nostrils trembling, did his best to get at it, first over the old man's shoulder and then under his arm. The stableman, who liked his impatience of a quiet horse, loitered purposely, barricaded the manger with his elbows, and grumbled out in his rough, kindly way, now, you glutton, there's a lot of time. Punch me again with your nose and I'll be punching you tonight. From the little window above the manger rose a square joyous sunbeam in which millions of golden fragments of dust divided by long shadows from the window panes were whirling downwards. End of part two. Part three. Emerald had just finished his oats when they came to take him out into the yard. It was warmer now, and the ground had become softer, but the stable walls were still white with frost. From the manure heaps just taken out of the stables rose a thick vapor, and the sparrows were swarming on them, chirruping excitedly as though they were quarreling. Emerald bent his neck under the doorway and crossed the threshold carefully. Then he drank in joyfully deep draughts of the delicious air, shook the full length of his body, and gave a sonorous sneeze. "'Good health to you,' observed Nazar quite gravely. Emerald would not keep still. He wanted vigorous movements. The tickling feeling of the air rushing into one's eyes and nostrils— the burning heart beats and the long deep breathing. Tied with a halter, he was neighing, dancing on his hind legs, and curving his neck sideways to get a backward glimpse of the black mare with one of his large rolling eyes, the whites of which were ribbed with little red veins. Breathless from exertion, Nazar lifted high up above his head a pail of water and dashed it upon the colt's back from crest to tail. This was a familiar sensation to Emerald, vigorous, pleasant, and always a little startling. Nazar brought more water and sprinkled his flanks, chest, feet, and tail with it. And each time that he soused him, his horny palm would pass over the horse's coat to mop off the water. Glancing backwards, Emerald could see his own sloping haunches suddenly darkened, and then shining again, as with a varnish in the sun. It was race day. Emerald knew that, by the way, the stablemen hurried and bustled about the horses, some of whom had usually to wear horseshoes, others had to wear leather pants on their knees, others had their hind legs bandaged with linen belts up to the knees or their chests protected with fur-bordered coats that reached to the forelegs. From the coach house, they pulled out the two-wheeled American buggies with high seats. Their metal spokes shone merrily, and their red rims and large red curved shafts glowed under a new coat of varnish. Emerald was already quite dry, brushed, rubbed, and groomed when the head stableman and Englishman came in. 
every man and horse in the stable had an equal respect for and dread of this tall thin long-handed man with a slight stoop his clean-shaven face was sunburned and his strong thin lips were set in a mocking curve he wore gold-rimmed glasses through which his light blue eyes looked straight out on the world with stubborn calmness he watched the preparations standing with his long legs wide apart in his high boots his hands buried in his trouser pockets as he munched his cigar first at one corner of his mouth and then at the other he wore a grey jacket with a fur collar and a narrow black cap with a long square peak from time to time he made curt remarks in a jerky careless tone and immediately all the stablemen and workmen turned their heads in his direction while the horses prickled up their ears he paid particular attention to the harnessing of emerald and examined the horse minutely from chest to hoof and as emerald felt the sure attentive glance he lifted his head proudly slightly arched his supple neck and raised his delicate almost transparent ears the englishman tested the girth slipping his finger between it and the horse's belly then they threw over the horse's gruelin and horse cloths with red borders red circles round the eyes and red monograms low down on their hind legs two stable boys nazar and the squint-eyed one took a rein on each side of emerald and led him to the hippodrome along the well-known road between two rows of scattered large stone buildings it was scarcely four versts to the racehorse there were already several horses in the enclosure they were taking round the circle all in the same direction as in the actual race that is to say in the opposite direction of the hands of a watch in the enclosure they were leading medium-sized strong-legged horses with docked tails among whom emerald quickly recognized the little white colt who always raced near him both horses greeted each other with a quiet and kindly neigh End of part three. Part four. A bell was rung. The stableman removed Emerald's horse cloth. The Englishman, his eyes blinking under his spectacles, owing to the sun, was showing his long yellow horse-like teeth as he came up with a whip under his arm, buttoning his gloves on his way. One of the stablemen picked up Emerald's fluffy tail that reached almost to the back of his knees and placed it carefully on the seat of the racing buggy so that its light-colored tips stuck out at the back the shafts gave like elastic under the driver's weight emerald took a peep round and saw him sitting almost over his haunches his feet stretched wide apart on the shafts without any hurry the driver took up the reins then he shouted a brief order to the stableman who at once let go of the reins rejoicing at the coming race emerald at first plunged forward but reined in by those strong hands he merely reared on his hind legs shook his neck and ran through the enclosure gate to the hippodrome at a strong restrained trot along the wooden fence that formed an ellipse of a verst 
ran a large racing track covered with yellow sand that was compact and slightly moist thus at once yielding to and responding to the pressure of hoofs the sharp hoof marks and the straight stripes from the gutta percha tires furrowed it they ran past the tribune a high wooden building with a frontage of two hundred horse lengths at least where like a mountain extending to the very roof which was itself supported by thin pillars a black human crowd bustled and swayed through a slight scarcely perceptible motion of the reins emerald understood that he might increase his pace and shorted gratefully in response he was trotting deliberately hardly moving his back and keeping his neck stretched forward but a little to the left his muzzle lifted firm and high thanks to a restrained though unusually long pace his running introduced from a distance no impression of speed it seemed that the racer measured the road without hurrying his four legs straight as a compass scarcely touching the ground with the tips of the hoofs it was the result of real american training in which everything combined to sustain the horse's wind and diminish to the utmost extent the resistance of the air under his regime all movements unnecessary to running are held to waste unproductively the horse's strength and beauty of form is sacrificed to that lightness dryness long wind and energy which transform the horse into a faultless living machine now in this interlude between races the walking of the horses so necessary to a trotter's lungs was taking place many were running in the outer circle in the same direction as emerald and in the inner in the opposite direction a big dapple grey with a white muzzle of the pure or loft breed with a high short neck and a tail like piping the whole resembling a gingerbread horse at a fair ran past emerald his heaving flanks and large fat chest were steaming and darkened by sweat as he ran throwing his forelegs sideways from the knees while at every pace there rang from his spleen a sharp sound then came behind him a stately long-bodied brown half-bred mare with a thin dark mane she was beautifully trained on the same american system as emerald her short well cared for coat was so glossy that it revealed the play of the muscles under the skin while the drivers were talking over something or other the two horses ran for a little side by side emerald sniffed at the mare quite prepared to make friends on the way but the englishman did not permit this and emerald submitted then there met them at full trot an enormous black coat swatched and bandages knee-caps and pads his left shaft stretched out a yard and a half longer than the right and a bearing rein clasped on the top and on both sides through a ring the nervous muzzle of the horse in its steel grip at the mare glanced at him simultaneously each of them instantly recognized the racer of wonderful strength speed and endurance but curiously stubborn and bad-tempered conceited and very touchy just behind the black horse 
ran a pale grey colt, very spruce but ludicrously small. Looking at him sideways, one would have thought he was whisking away at a terrific rate. So often did he throw out his feet, so high did he raise his knees and arch his short neck, while his small pretty head had such an earnest, business-like expression. Emerald merely squinted at him contemptuously and moved one ear in his direction. The other driver stopped talking with a short, loud laugh, like a neigh, and gave the mare her head. Quietly, without any effort, as if her speed had nothing to do with her, the mare shot ahead of Emerald, her shining back smooth and regular, with a scarcely noticeable little strap outlining her spine. But a red fire-like racer with a large white spot on his muzzle caught up Emerald and her, and soon left both behind. He galloped with long bounds, now stretching himself and almost stooping to the ground, and now almost joining his fore and hind legs in the air. His driver was lying, rather than sitting, on the box, his body thrown backwards as he hung onto the taut reins. Emerald got excited and lurched sideways, but the invisible Englishman pulled on the reins and, all of a sudden, those hands, so supple and so sensitive to every movement of a horse, became like iron. Near the tribune, the red colt, after another gallop round the ring, caught up to Emerald once more. Till then, he had been galloping and he was already in a leather with bloodshot eyes and panting breath. His driver, leaning forward, was lashing him along the back with all his might. At last, the stableman managed to bar his course and seized the reins close to his muzzle, after which he was led away from the ring, wet, wheezing, trembling, ground thin in a minute. Emerald did another half-lap at a full trot, then turned onto the path which caught across the race course and made his way back through the gate into the yard. End of part four. Part five. A bell rang several times on the hippodrome. Beyond the open gate, the race horses were running like lightning from time to time, while the people on their grandstand shouted and applauded. Emerald, lined up with the other horses, was stepping out beside Nazar, shaking his bent head and moving his ears in their linen cases. After his exercise, his blood ran merry and hot on his veins. His breathing grew deeper and freer as his body became more rested and cooler, while in every muscle he could feel the renewed longing for the race. Half an hour went by. Another bell sounded on the hippodrome. Now the driver sat in the racing buggy without his gloves. His hands were large, wide, magical, and inspired Emerald with both devotion and fear. The Englishman drove out and hurriedly to the race track, from which horses were filling out on their way to the yard after finishing their walk. In the enclosure, only Emerald and the animal's black colt whom he had met on that preliminary drive, were left. The stands, from top to bottom, 
were black with a dense human crowd and from this black mass emerged gaily and untidily countless white faces and hands variated umbrellas women's hats and airily swung programmes gradually quickening his pace as he passed the stands emerald felt thousands of eyes following him fixedly and he realized clearly that these eyes expected from him swiftness the full tension of his strength the full beating of his heart and this understanding communicated to his muscles a joyous lightness and a coquettish precision of movement a white horse of his acquaintance ridden by a boy was going at a hand gallop to his right with a regular measured trot bending his body slightly to the left emerald traced an angular turn and moved up to the post with the red disc a bell rang out curtly on the hippodrome the englishman imperceptibly strengthened himself on the box seat and his hands became suddenly firmer now go but nurse your strength it's too soon now emerald understood and to show his comprehension he lowered for a second and then straightened his fine sensitive ears the white colt was galloping regularly at his side and a little behind emerald could feel close to his crest the horse's fresh even breath the red post flew behind him another sharp turn the pass straightens itself and the second stand becomes nearer blackens becomes variegated with its bustling crowd and grows larger with every step faster the driver permits faster faster emerald grows a little excited and wants to throw into the race all his strength may i he thinks to himself no it's still too soon don't be excited answer the soothing magic hands afterwards the two colts passed the winning posts at the same second but from opposite sides of the diameter linking to the two stands the slight resistance of the thread and the sense of its being broken made emerald prick his ears but he instantly forgot about it so absorbed was he by those marvellous hands a little faster but don't get excited go evenly his driver orders the black rocking tribune swims past him another hundred yards or so and all four of them emerald the young white colt the englishman and the boy who standing on his short stirrups was almost over the horse's mane merged themselves in one close rushing mass of speed animated by one will one beauty of powerful movement one rhythm resonant as music rat tat tat exactly and regularly emerald beats out with his hoofs tra ta tra ta curtly and sharply the hoofs of the white horse reply another turn and the second stand rushes towards them shall i force the pace emerald asks yes reply the hands but coolly the second stand flies swiftly by the people are shouting out something it distracts emerald he gets excited 
loses his feeling of the reins, loses his staff for a second, and gives four capricious beats with his right hoof. But the reins immediately become hard, tear his mouth, wring his neck downwards, and force his head to the right. Now he can't gallop with the right feet. Emerald grows angry and refuses to change his feet, but the driver, seizing his moment, coolly and authoritatively pulls him into a trot. The stand is now far behind him. Emerald gets back into his pace, and the hands become friendly and soft once more. Emerald feels that he has done wrong and wants to double his pace. But oh no, it's too soon yet, the hands observe kindly. We'll have time to make up for this, don't worry. And so they pass in perfect harmony without any change of pace, a full round and a half. But the black colt is in perfect form today. While Emerald had been out of step, he had time to outdistance him by six lengths. Emerald, however, makes up for the lost time and, at the last post but one, he is three seconds and a quarter ahead. Now you can do it. Go, the driver orders. Emerald draws back his ears and gives one quick glance behind him. The Englishman's face burns with a sharp, decisive expression. His clean-shaven lips have wrinkled into an impatient grimace, exposing his long, yellow-clenched teeth. Now for the last ounce. The reins in the high, uplifted hands order. Faster, faster. Suddenly, the Englishman shouts in a loud, vibrating voice that rises like a siren. Oh, hey, hey. There, 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 the boy behind them shouts shrilly in tune. The rhythm has now reached its highest pitch, and the tension hangs on a single hair, almost ready to snap. Ta-ta-ta, regularly stamp out on the ground Emerald's feet. Tra tra tra. One hears ahead the gallop of the white colt spurring emeralds on. The elastic shafts swing in time with the race and the boy, almost lying on his horse's neck, rises in his saddle to the rhythm of the gallop. The air rushing to meet one whistles in one's ears and tickles the nostrils, from which great streams of steam emerge. It becomes more difficult to breathe, and one's skin burns. Emerald takes the last turn, all his body swerving in the middle of it. The stand becomes alive with a roar from a thousand throats, frightening, troubling, and gladdening emeralds all at once. He can trot no longer, but wants to gallop. Only those astonishing hands behind him implore and order and soothe. Don't gallop, my dear. Whatever you do, don't gallop. That's it. That's it. Just like that. That's it. An emerald rushing past the post breaks the control thread without even noticing it. Shouts, laughter, a torrent of applause is hurled down from the stand. 
the white leaves of the race program umbrellas sticks hats turn and flush amid a sea of hands and faces the englishman throws the reins aside gently it's all over my dear thanks his movement says to emerald as he with difficulty recovers from the impetus of the race and slows down to a walk at this moment the black colt is just arriving at his post seven seconds later on the opposite side the englishman raises his stiff legs with difficulty jumps heavily from the buggy takes off the padded seat and goes with it to the weighing stablemen run up to flying a horse cloth over emerald's hot back and take him to the yard he is followed by the rumbling on the crowd and the loud bell of the members pavilion a slight yellowish froth falls from the horse's mouth on the ground and on the stableman's hands a few minutes later emerald already unharnessed is brought back to the judge's box a tall man with a long coat and a new shining hat whom emerald has often seen in his table pats him on the neck and thrusts a lump of sugar straight into his mouth the englishman is standing there in the crowd smiling wrinkling his face as he grins with his long teeth the horse cloth is removed from emerald and he is put in front of a box standing on three feet and covered with a black cloth under which a man in grey is hiding himself busy with something or other but already people are swarming down from the grandstand in a black serried mass they come close to the horse on all sides shouting waving their hands stretching out close to one another their red sweating faces with gleaming eyes they are dissatisfied about something they thrust their fingers in the feet the head the flanks of emerald rumple his hair on the left flank where there is a brand and roar out all together a false trotter a fake a swindle money back emerald listens to this without understanding the words and moves his ears anxiously what's it all about he thinks with surprise when i've been running so well then for a second the englishman's face slips before his eyes usually so calm slightly mocking and firm it is now burning with anger and all of a sudden the englishman shouts something in a high guttural voice swings his arm quickly and the sound of a blow cuts dryly through the general turmoil end of part five part six emerald was taken home and three hours later he was given out in the evening when he was watered at the well he could not see the large yellow moon rising behind the edge of a cloud and this inspired him with a dark dread then began the dull days he was not taking out any more either for exercise or walks or to races but every day strangers crowds of people came and for their benefit emerald was dragged out into the yard where they examined him and felt him all over their hands crawling into his mouth scrubbing his coat with pumice stone 
all shouting at each other together. Afterwards, he remembered he was once taken out of the stable late in the evening and led for a long time through stony, empty streets, past houses and lit-up windows. Then came the station, a dark, shaky horse-box, his feet trembling from fatigue after a long journey, and whistles of the engines, the rattle of the rails, the stifling smell of smoke the dull light of the swinging lantern. At one station he was dumped out of the horse-box and led along an endless unknown road that ran between huge bare autumn fields, past villages, until he raised an unfamiliar stable, where he was shut up alone away from the other horses. At the beginning, he would still recall the races and think about his Englishman and Vasily and Nazar and Anagin, often dreaming about them, but gradually he began to forget them all. He was hidden away for some reason or other, and his beautiful young body was pining and grieving and growing weak from inaction and new strangers were constantly arriving, crowding round Emerald, prodding him, pulling him about, and angrily abusing each other. Sometimes Emerald could catch glimpses through the open door of other horses walking and running about in freedom. Then he would shout to them in protest and complain. But the door was instantly closed again, and time would crawl once more dull and lonely for Emerald. The head of this stable was a large-headed, sleepy man with small black eyes and a thin black moustache on his fat face. He seemed to be quite indifferent to Emerald, but the horse felt an incomprehensible fear of him. And then once, early in the morning, while all the stable men were still asleep, this man came noiselessly up to the emerald on tiptoe, poured oats into his manger, and left the stable. Emerald was a little surprised, but began obediently to eat. The oats were nice, just a little bitter, but pleasant to the taste for all that. It's odd, thought Emerald. I never tasted such odds before. Then, all of a sudden, he became conscious of a slight colic. Pain came, it stopped, then came back stronger than ever, and grew sharper every minute. At last it became intolerable. Emerald began to moan dully. Wheels of fire were dancing before his eyes. All his body was wet and flabby from his sudden weakness. His feet shivered, bent under him, and the cold fell heavily on the floor. He tried to get up again, but could only raise himself on his four legs and once more slipped on his side. A bustling turmoil whirled through his head. The Englishman swam by with his horse-like grin from the long teeth. Anagin ran by, neighing loudly with his camel-like Adam's apple projecting beneath his jaw. Some force or other was dragging Emerald mercilessly and ruthlessly deep down into a dark, cold hole. Already he was unable to move. Suddenly, 
Convulsions passed o'er his feet and neck and arched his back. The horse's skin began to tremble in small swift ripples and became covered with a froth that had a pungent smell. The moving yellow light of the lantern played straight into his eyes for a second and then died away with his failing eyesight. His ear caught once more a coarse human shot, but already he was unable to feel himself pushed and aside by someone's heel. Then everything disappeared forever. End of Emerald Recording by Scout of Rohan, Kazakhstan